0: Amen, I've entitled uh, the message today, Lose It or Lose It. Use it or or lose it. Now there's a modern axiom, right, uh, in life, and it seems to be true in so many areas of life that uh, if you have something and don't use it, get ready, it's gonna gonna be history. It'll be gone. And it doesn't uh, matter whether it involves certain skills, uh, skill sets that you uh, you have maybe for your work. Uh, if uh, you let it get a little dusty, get ready. You're gonna be uh, you're gonna be in trouble. I mean, you you heard the less the story of the old uh, piano uh, student and teacher, right? Uh, you miss one day of practice, you know. You miss uh, two days, your teacher knows. And I took five years of piano, and I know what that is. And uh, you miss three days and the world knows, why? Rusty. You get very, very rusty. I remember uh, my son-in-law, who's a tremendous physician, trained and been uh, associate professor of medicine at Hopkins, um, was uh, during during different stints of his life in Beijing, he was training medical students in China, and then uh, he was training uh, over in Qatar and other places. And he was doing all the training, and he kept saying, I've got to get back into the mix of it. I've got to get back doing it. I'm going to lose some of my skills. And I'm I, I like, like, what, Greg? What could you possibly lose? You know, he said, well, there are a lot of them, but one is intubation, where they put that, uh, some of you know what that is, but they put that breathing thing down your when when you're either collapsed or you, you need help breathing, they put that in. There's, a, I guess, an art to doing that. Some of you that are medical know that. And he said there's just a whole host of things that you lose. Uh, some of you have uh, uh, taken foreign language, right? In high school, you had to do that, or college. Yeah, como estas? status? Yeah, what's that, right? <laughs> Yeah, some of you took a lot of years of it. I mean, I had years where you were forbidden to speak English in the classroom. You walked in and it had to be in that language. And I've, I've studied four or five languages. I got news for you. You don't use that, you're cooked. You are cooked, right? It's back there in the cemetery of your mind, but that's about the only place it is. It isn't on your tongue. <laughs> and uh, it, it could come back, maybe, if you are thrown in, immersed into that culture. You don't use it, you lose it. And how about exercising? Some of, have you, some of you bought some of that exercise equipment? Some of that stuff on TV, you know? That stuff, you know, that's, a lot of that stuff is junk. And I, if you never figured it out, the people that like have eight-pack abs, and they're, you know, they didn't get that from that equipment they're selling. I don't know if you ever thought that deeply about it. It did not come that way, okay. Kudos to Jack Lane. He's no longer with us, but he was for a long time. That stuff doesn't come that way. They count on you. A lot of it's junk, really. And if you if you if you try to run on it or or, or whatever you do with it, uh, every I'm going to do that every day for that stuff won't last a month probably. I know. <laughs> We've been there. I've been there. I've uh, busted up stuff and. But what they're counting on is what after three weeks, uh, you know, it kind of moves its way to the basement, out and then in the garage, and then a garage sale, right? And if you don't use it, you lose it. And some of you were into weightlifting, right? Oh, I'm a fraction of what I used to be. I used to drink that liquid protein and pump the iron and all that stuff. The older you get, you find out. Well, it's good to work the muscles, but probably not like that. You know, it's not probably. I'm not 18 anymore, you know, neither are most of you, right? And you don't use it, you know, where did it go? I don't know, it disappears. You don't use it, you lose it. I say all that because that really kind of summarizes what Jesus is is going to uh, present for us uh, today as Luke puts, as he commonly does, he puts uh, two couplets together They come at it in a little different direction to teach one truth, and that's what he's going to do today. Uh, A a different way of saying it is that billion-dollar profit that Nike made and the geniuses that they paid with the advertising company, just do it. That made billions of dollars for Nike, didn't it? Just do it. Get off your duff and do it. It doesn't matter what it is. Do it. And while you're doing it, make sure you're wearing Nike uh, footwear, right? That's the same thing. Use it or lose it, just do it. That's the same theme that uh, the doctor is going to present for us uh, today in Luke chapter 8, verse 16 to 21. Jesus is, uh, is going to tell us here in our text that true children of light belong to his family, and they do, they do what he says. That's the point. Just do it. You'll see it. Let's look at Luke and, and read that. I'm in the ESV, English Standard Version of the Bible. And Luke uh, chapter 8, verse uh, uh, 16 uh, through verse 21. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but he puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to the light. Take care, then, how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Then the second story, the Lord tells, or the couplet rather, that his mother, that's Jesus' mother, that's Mary, and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And Jesus was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Do it. Just do it. Well, there are two sayings here of Jesus urging you and I, as believers of the Lord Jesus Christ, to demonstrate the genuineness of our faith. We are, uh, we are to have the real faith, the real faith that evidences itself, in all sorts of uh, Christ-like living and doings and practicing in our life. It's not merely the kind that says it, but gives no evidence of it. It's not the kind that receives the word, like the soil, but gives no evidence of fruit. We saw that last week. Now, I'm reminded that many people, even people sitting in churches today, have a defective faith. It's defective in that it's not the real deal. It will not save. It's a, it's a kind that says, oh, I know Jesus, but it gives no evidence of that. Make sure you don't have that kind. That's the kind that's recalled. It's one thing to get a recalled uh, Toyota part. Another thing to get a recalled refrigerator part. It's another thing to have a recalled defective faith. You don't want that. You don't want that. And I can't do it for you, or I would. You've got to examine your own heart. Our hearts are desperately wicked. Our motives are often twisted together, and we don't see them clearly. The evidence is, is that there ought to be a hunger in your heart to please the Lord and to live for Him. Whether you say it or not, it ought to be like Paul. For me, to live is Christ. And increasingly, that ought to be so in your life. There ought to be a Christ-likeness. Look, we're sinners. The, the awful, horrible pit that God has dug us from is a stench pool, really. And God takes us. Why us? Go figure that one. I can't. Not me. And he saves us, and we become trophies of his grace. And a new disposition, and a new nature, and the word of God is changing you and I to make us like Jesus. From the inside out, what we used to run and yearn for, we turn and that no longer satisfies us. We want to please the Lord. Rather than living for self, we look for ways to live for Christ openly. We we used to live in duplicity. Wherever I was, I blended into the crowd. And we got sick of that. It made us regurgitate. We say, that's it. I'm going to be a man or woman of integrity, of oneness, wholeness. Wherever I am, I'm going to be the same. I'm going to be Christ, salt, and light. That's what I want to be. That's the measure of it. And part of it is is that you're taking in the Word of God. And when you do that, when you take it in, you're sitting there and not saying, oh, pastor, that was good teaching, or pastor, you forgot this, or maybe that. None of that. You're saying, there's a piece of truth. How can I practically today build that into my life? That's what Jesus is talking about. And if you'll do that, you'll be, you'll be like a lamp that's useful. And if you do that, you'll be a member of Jesus' family. That's what he's saying in these two couplets that Luke brings together. Use it. Use what? Use the truth of the Word of God. Use the gospel that you're learning daily Build it into your life. Don't sit there thinking about other things. Focus and say, Lord, what can I do with this? And if the truth confronts you with sin, forsake it, confess it, turn from it. If it's something you ought to be doing and you're not doing, you say, Lord, I'm going to do that. To... Write it down and go and do that. Or there's a warning we're going to see as we just read. And here it is. You're going to lose it. You will lose the truth that you have been taught if you don't use it. Just like that foreign language or that skill set. And you don't want that. If you don't use it, you'll get increasingly dull. But if you use it, God will increase your capacity for more. You say, well, that doesn't seem fair. We just read that uh, if you don't use it, what little bit you had is taken away. He's not talking about money or possessions. He's talking about the truth you receive the truth. All of us are going to do that today as we hear God's word. What are you going to do with it? If you don't do anything with it, you're going to lose that little bit you have. Your world, your sense will become duller. It's like turning the light down. But if you do determine today, I'm going to hear something, and Lord, I'm going to use it for your glory, God will increase your capacity for more spiritual truth. Now, if you're still stumbling around in first grade in God's school, I got news for you that probably the reason is, is that you've just been a bench warmer, thinking that this is some sort of theater, let pastor do his thing, you know. Uh, No, it isn't. It's a congregation. We meet with God and his word and the spirit, and you're active agents just as much as I am in this thing, and... uh, You need to put in practice. Let's begin that today. Well, the first uh, saying, as we saw, is the story of this lamp in verse 16, 17, and 18. And Jesus tells, it's a proverb, proverbial language here of the lamp, and really he's saying, put into practice the word of God. So you don't have that defective faith. A workless faith is a worthless faith. It's worthless. You can't even buy a cup of coffee at Starbucks with it. Forget it. And so he's warning us here. All right, put it into practice or you'll lose the little truth that you received. If you have something useful like a lamp, Jesus is talking about no one after lighting a lamp. He's talking about a gas lantern of sorts. uh, Covers it. Nobody does that. That's stupid. You use it. You don't put a jar over it to hide it. You don't certainly put it under your bed. That's, uh, That's stupid. You use it use it. You use it to light up the room. What? And if you, if, if you, done, if you didn't do that, what, what would that be like? Well, if you lit a lamp and then hid it, you didn't use it, it'd be like what? It'd be like fixing a great meal. Think of Thanksgiving. Are you hungry now? All the turkey and dressing. Faith really puts the, puts the I don't know why they say puts the, put the dog out. I certainly hope it's nobody's dog, you know. But put the, put the spread out and, and then she gets it all ready and, uh, you know, we're ready to go and salvating. You can smell that turkey cooking all night and cranberries and all that good stuff, right? And then rather than putting it on the dining room table, just wash it right down the garbage disposal. Would that be a terrible thing? That'd be horrible. I think we'd probably stop her from doing that, Right? What are you doing? You know, <laughs> wait a minute. It'd be like that. That's uh, that'd be like, or it'd be like what? Buying a new car. Finally got that car. Been dreaming about forever. Saving up forever, and then never drive it. Just park it in the garage. That'd be stupid, wouldn't it? That'd be dumb. Or or it'd be like uh, buying that exercise bike and never using it. Right? Uh, we won't go too far on that one because that one that's. That gets convicting, doesn't it? (laughs) A lamp is to be used. It's to be used in the home. It's foolish to to do otherwise. Now, Jesus in another place in the Sermon on the Mount talks about you are the light of the world, let your light shine. He's not, when he talks about the lamp in this context, it's a little different usage. not referring to, it's not a missionary usage of let your light shine. Now, that's certainly true that you and I as uh, Christians or to let the light of Jesus radiate from us. But here he's talking about something specific, the usefulness or unusefulness of a lamp. You don't render it non-usable by hiding it. And so that's the analogy that he's making here. Uh, the gospel was given to be used. It was never intended to be hidden away. Well, the question then, then is, uh, uh, now that uh, we've heard the truth about Jesus, uh, what, uh, what would uh, they and what would we do with it? What about that? Well, sadly, some people hear the glory of, the, of our Savior and the wonder of the cross and salvation, and they go, well, that's interesting, and maybe they yawn and pay attention for a moment, but it makes no difference. Nothing whatsoever. No difference in their life. Maybe in the other analogy you saw last week, they're, they're like the path that's beaten down, and the Word of God reaches has no effect. Oh, well, that's interesting. And they want to go on to what's next on the uh, to do today. No difference. Be careful if that's you. Be careful. Be careful. Be warned about that. Well, a lot of pe- people here, like soils, would fail to bring any spiritual food. Well, such ones are useless, as useless anyways as a lamp that's that's under a jar. It does not serve its purpose well, the gospel we possess was not given to be admired. Some people do that. They'll admire it. Well, that's something. They'll hold it up there and look at that. Some people in some churches, there are the crosses and there's Jesus, a figurine of Jesus on the cross, and, and maybe a muriel of the empty tomb and the stone, and they, they hold it up and they admire it. Well, it's certainly admirable. That's no question about that. It's It's a holy wonder, the greatest work ever done and and all that. But it's far more than that. Don't stop there. Some people uh, will go on and and they'll have discussion about it. Let's talk about it. Kind of a philosophical thing, you know, like uh, I want to know more and more and all the ins and outs of... Of the Gospel, and so more than admired and wonder and all that they they 're in the ins and outs and the nitty gritties, and how was it that Christ died vicariously and and how was it that uh, our sins are were atoned for, and how do we receive the righteous all the ins and out of the theology and the philosophy of the cross, but it 's much more than that it's, it certainly is much, much. More than that, more than merely being discussed, it was given to be practiced. It was given to be lived out in your life and mine. It was meant to be seen. Seen. Well, how do we do that? Good question. How do we we make this light, this gospel, seen in our lives so that we don't lose the truth we've received? How do we do that? Well, make good use, I would suggest, of the truths that you know. How do you do that? How do you make good use of Bible truths that you and I have all been taught? Well, let's give a a little sampling. Uh, The law, we know the law, the Ten Commandments. A number of years ago, we had a series on the Ten Commandments and saw how apropos they were for our day. You say, well, we're not under law. Well, the law is good. The problem is we couldn't keep the law. And the law shouts to us that we're sinners, that we break the law, we transgress it, we, we break so so how do we as Christians you know wanting to use what we have how do we do that? Well, the law still is useful in our life, it ought to drive us to daily confession. You know there we go again. I didn't honor my father, and what I said my attitude, I've sinned, Lord, forgive me of that, or uh we, I'm coveting I, I want what. Billy has, you know, or whatever, right? Uh, It's not wrong to to desire something, but you cross the line, and we lust, right? Sexual sins, money sins, our mouth sins, our thoughts, the whole gamut, and the law convicts us. We know that we're lawbreakers, even as Christians. So it ought to, in a practical sense, drive us to daily contrition and cleansing and washing. Lord, I've sinned, and the law helps us with that. It does. What else can we say? How about the gospel? Now, we know the gospel. How can that help us be practitioners of the truth and be like a useful lamb? It should cause you to totally trust Jesus in all of life. I trust him with my everything. He is my Savior, my Lord. Saved. He paid it all. I trust him. We can trust him because he's trustworthy. He's faithful. We're not faithful. He is and so when things come up in our life, we go, we say, Lord, I, I don't know how this is going to work out, but I'm trusting you. You're my Savior. I've trusted you for my everything. Believers believe, you know, that's what believers do. If you're a believer, then you can actively say, I am going to trust the Lord in this. And I'll tell you, in my life, in our life, faith in my life, every week things <laughs> come up. It gives us a chance to exercise that, right? I don't know if your life is like ours. All you have to do is get to know people, have a bunch of kids and grandkids and, and have a church family. Like It's like unbelievable. We're going to trust the Lord to, in one thing after another, after another, after another. You know, whether it's at work or at school or another exam or someone needs a job or we got a medical test and it, it's just called life, Right? And so how do we practice living like Christians? Like we, we believe, we trust God. It's the heart of the gospel, right? Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. How else? How about, uh, how about election? That wonderful, wonderful teaching that God is sovereign and calling out a people. Uh, if you know Christ, he has chosen you before the foundation of the world. What a blessed truth that is. You know, a lot of folks don't know that. A lot of folks... Really struggle with that. Keep reading your Bible. You'll discover on every page God is the active uh, chooser. He is sovereign. He is. He is. And I'll tell you, when you'll come to the point when you're starting to get a handle on it, it's the pillow that you can lay your head down at night and it will allow you to sleep sweetly. He's in charge. I'm not. He is. Not only the weather, but all things. And so we we say, bless the Lord for that. And so we, how do we do that? How, how can we practice here? It ought to get, cause us to be humble, right? God didn't save you because, uh, you know, you, you're handsome. <laughs> that We know that's not true, right? <laughs> or beautiful, or that you can shoot the hoop, or or you're a genius and that. And these things may be true in some extent, right? But God saved you and said, I don't know why he saved me. I don't know why he saved me humility, it ought to drive us to that. That's not such a good thing, humility. Even with Jesus, what an example, right? How about that? We don't rule and reign now, do we? Jesus taught us in his whole life, it's the cross and then the crown. Today's the day of serving. Today's the day of humility. And there'll be another day when we stand before him and we'll receive crowns of which... Uh, for our Sir, and we'll throw back to his feed for he's deserving of all, it. but today is not the day for ruling and reigning. humility ought to be a mark. we ought to practice that you know and and don't be amazed well i've really been humble lately <laughs> i'm just amazed i 'm really making good headway in that department <laughs> uh you've got a ways to go yet, a little bit there. <laughs> And humility isn't like, oh, I'm a piece of dirt, okay? You may be, okay? But humility really means just knowing where you are in the scheme of things. You're a creature, you're you're made from dust, and dust you'll return, and if you know Christ, you're wonderfully saved, you're a trophy of grace, you're greatly loved, you have gifts and abilities, every one of you, okay? And Lord, I'm a servant. And just realizing who you are. Life is quick and fast and short. I want to love of the Lord with all my heart. And that's it. How else can we? How about, uh, how about sanctification? That's uh, the work uh, after you're saved, where God, the lifelong work, uh, God is going to mold you through the events of life and of your life and, and make you more and more and more increasingly like Jesus. That's amazing. Yeah, Sometimes it's. Two forward and one back. Sometimes it feels like one forward and two back insofar as the process, but uh, our sanctification should motivate you to grow in holiness, learning to live with, with love. Love, purity. In a very impure, unclean world, purity. And how about generosity? Have you learned that? Live to give. Live to give. I hope that's pressed upon your hearts. No other reason. Live to give. You'll be like Christ. He gave it all, remember? How about perseverance? That's another, you know that. God keeps those who He saved. This should cause you to be steadfast under trouble and trials. You know, we may not feel like it. And we're, we're, we're okay with the short ones, aren't we? It's the long ones. You know, Lord, uh, I'm trusting you, but make it go away Tomorrow. I don't know if I can do next week two weeks, three weeks enduring under why? Perseverance perseverance and the point is if we know the truth we are called to live it learn something learn it today even and build it into your life specifically for the warning is made there is the warning and here it is you say well that's not fair this is not fair but it's the way it is in verse 7, uh, verse, uh, um, uh, verse 18. Take care then how you hear. When Jesus says hear, he means hear, listen, and obey. Take care how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Say, well, that's not fair. Hear that all the time today, right? Not fair, not fair, not fair. It may not seem fair to you, but it's the way spiritual truth is, and that's the way it operates. If you don't use it, you're going to lose it, and uh, it'll be given, so to speak, to one who is appropriate, and they're getting an increased capacity for truth. And that's what I want for you. That's what I want for you, really. That's what I want for you. And the warning Jesus gives indeed, if we don't use what we know, we'll lose it. And, and if we use it, will receive more. God knows all things. He knows even the secrets of our lives. That's quite a thought, isn't it? The fact that God knows everything about me, he knows everything about you. And sometimes we're self-deceived. And even even that will be revealed someday, that what uh, seemed to be is not. And uh, it's a warning. Use it. Use it or you will lose it. Some people fool themselves, I have on that blank, Think, into thinking that they're in the faith. But it's a worthless, worthless faith. But eventually the truth comes out. Light exposes, doesn't it? People who put God's word into action grow in Christ. And as a as a result, learn more truth. Because their capacity really increases. You know, when I was a kid in Sunday school, <clears throat> uh, our, our little department teacher uh, mrs Mrs. Dorothy Peters, my kids always laugh, laugh because I remember my uh, early teachers their names, and you never called them by their first name. I would have we got knocked silly uh, you, you know some of you were raised to that generation, you know what I mean. Even to this day, it's, it's harder for me. Older folks, you know, and they realize, well, wait, I've joined them. But I, I guess I can say, you know. But Mr. and Mrs. with, with respect to someone older. And that's, uh, that's sad that we've lost that. But I remember our teachers, and I remember a number of the songs that they would teach. And how about the song, This Little Light of Mine? How many of you learned that when you're, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine? This little light of mine is a beautiful little song. I'm going to let it shine. I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No. Right? We, no. I'm going to let it shine. Based right on this uh, text here. am going to let it shine. Uh, it, this uh, little song, the children's song, that uh, we ought to, perhaps as adults, relearn again, right? Expresses a bold commitment to living for Jesus in an open in an obvious way that all would see that here's a man or woman, boy or girl who is living for Jesus, practicing truth, growing daily. That's letting the light shine. That's using it. That's not being stupid. Don't miss that. That's what the Lord is saying. Those who, have, those who listen to Jesus and to the word of God today with a surrendered and an obedient heart will be given a deeper and more intensive insight into the spiritual life and into his word, writes one man. Wow, this little proverb. Children of light, use the lamb. But he doesn't close. Luke couples it, as I said, with the second little little saying. And this is a little incident, really. Uh, And then Jesus responds to it in 19 verses 21, uh, where Jesus tells who can be a part of his blessed family. Isn't that great? A wonderful scene. The setting, there he is teaching. The throngs of the people are all around him. And uh, uh, there on the outside, uh, his mother, Mary, and his brothers, the text says, uh, came uh, to find him. They wanted to, uh, to talk with him. Kind of interesting. We got just a little glimpse of the earthly family of the Lord Jesus Christ. We get a little of that, as we look through the Gospels. Notice there's no mention of Joseph. We believe he had already died at this point. And, uh, and so uh, we see this now. Uh, the text says, then his mother and his brothers came to him, and they could not reach him because of the crowd. And somebody reported in. Can you see it moving through the crowd? Pass it up. Jesus, your mother's here. Pass it Your brothers are outside too. Now there are some places and. In churches that teach that Jesus didn't have any brothers or sisters and, and that kind of thing. They were cousins or someone else. But Adelfoy, uh, the word used is brother. And in uh, Mark 6, uh, verse 3, it even names some sisters by name. And, uh, and here they come. And it reminds us here in this, uh, this that there's no higher privilege than to belong to the family of God. You know, family is a great gift. I, I, feel, I feel badly for some of you. I mean, families are not perfect. Family life can be very messy, amen? It can be very messy. It can be. It's the best thing going. It's God's design and program, the family. But aren't you, aren't you glad we're not just all independent agents? You know, they do that in the sports world, right? They're going to be a free agent. Hopefully, we'll have football this next year, Amen. At least the bills won't lose any this year if we don't, you know. (laughs) But aren't you glad we're not free agents, kind of left on our own? But God has these little units called family. You know, that's what a country really is, is a collection of family. Not perfect, strange at certain points. Some of you have terrible stories to tell, and you receive the blunt of that, and I feel badly about that. But that was never God's design and program. And family is a great gift, it is, it really is. It's his, uh, his, it's his teaching, it's the incubation where you learn most everything in life, did you know that? Uh, by the time you go to kindergarten, you've learned probably, probably what, well, let's say 70% of what all you ever need, really need to learn, you know, like what? Uh, listen to the teacher, uh, keep your hands off your neighbor, I mean, you think about it. these little rules that Miss Rissy taught me when I was in kindergarten, right? And then gave a report. You know, Terry's uh, not sleeping on his his uh, his towel at nap time. You know, and all these things, right? And and, and I could go on. And the family is a wonderful, wonderful thing. It is, and God's plan it's, it's shrouded with mystery. You know, why Why he didn't come as just the great, open, conquering general and defeating sin and death and all that, but came as a baby in a family with a virgin Mary and a stepfather Joseph, who after he was born had normal marital relationship and had other children. He had brothers and he had sisters. And we know some of them by name, don't we? And that's the setting here. And, uh, and A, there was an attempt made by the family to interrupt Jesus from doing God's will. It was his will to teach and present the Father. They wanted to interrupt him. Uh, we, we don't know what their motive was. So the text doesn't say or we would know. Uh, maybe uh, there was trouble. Maybe there was trouble. That happens, right, in the best of him. And they needed his help. He was far away from home. He wasn't in Nazareth here where they lived. And he's the oldest brother, if you will. And uh, Joseph was gone. And so maybe they needed help. Maybe, and we're trying to guess because we don't know the motive. Maybe they were worried about him. I mean, he kept an extremely hectic public ministry schedule. I mean, it would have wore the the most fit and physically strong man out in all that he was doing with that uh, ministry. And some of you know what it is. Um, uh, when you're involved with people and people, it, it can suck the life right out of you. Uh, it, does, it does mean you can get very people tired in the press of the crowd and, and that must have been enormous on them and they were worried about him. Maybe, maybe that, was, that was it as well. Well, in any event, Jesus doesn't stop, does he? He doesn't stop, he doesn't go out to him. Rather, he takes advantage of the opportunity of hearing that his mother and brothers were outside and he takes that opportunity to explain what it means to belong to God's family. Now that's a great family. I don't know if you ever thought about it. Maybe during some tough days in your family, maybe even now you'd say, I wish I'd been born a Rockefeller. I wouldn't have any trouble then, right? If I'd been born if I'd been born in Bill Gates' family, there you go. Right? Or J. Paul Getty or someone else wealthy or someone fun loving or I wish I was Michael Jordan's son. <laughs> That'd be a great family, right? How about God's family? That—that that is the, And he's talking about how you can be a part of God's family, the family of God. And so he takes that opportunity to talk what it means. And, and essentially in verse 21, it's if you hear and you do, again, he's saying the same thing again, the things that you've heard, the gospel to begin with, and then the scriptures as you're taught, you will evidence the fact that you've been adopted and born into his family. Wow. Isn't that great? Well, it teaches us really two lessons then, doesn't it? A minor and a a major lesson. The minor lesson is is that our calling in God's family at times has to take precedent over the claims of our earthly family. Our calling in God's family, what God has called us to do and equipped us to do, takes precedent over uh, perhaps demands and obligations of, of, of our earthly family. He didn't go running out to his mommy. He was not disrespectful. He honored her. He wrote at Sinai through the angel, the fifth commandment, you should honor your father and your mother. I mean, he didn't violate that there. Uh, he uh, honored his mother even from the cross and took care of her, gave her to John to take care of his mother. He honored her, he took care of her, but he, 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 had, a, he had a higher uh, order at that point. Uh, the precedent of doing the Father's will. We saw that even as he was in the temple at 12, how, did you not know that I had to be about my father's business? There he is in the temple learning while they had gone two three days and, and recognized after a day he was not there. And so he honored them. Now I know what that is in my own life. Now when you're in your junior years, your younger years, it's God's will. It's real simple for children, you know, even teenagers. You know, God's will for you, obey your parents. Next question, obey your parents. Unless... You know, it's abusive, unless it's uh, a direct violation of uh, God's uh, revealed will, and that's about never, probably. There are some exceptions, but it's real simple. Obey your parents. Obey your mother and your father. When you turn into your majority years and you're an adult, you honor but not obey we not. Too, we don't have the re- subordinate relationship with our moms and dads where we need to obey them. We always highly prize them and honor them. They gave us birth. They changed our diapers. We didn't know anything for years, and they clothed us, took us to the doctor, made sure we got uh, an education. right? We wore shoes, put your coat on, wear your mittens, all that stuff, right? Right? So we honor them for that. That's right. But when you become an adult, and God maybe has you to do something that may take you far away from your immediate family, their, their strengths to you are secondary at that point. Now, it becomes increasingly interesting if you have an unsaved dad or an unsaved mom. Now I say all that because two, uh, two things in my life it touched. Uh, I, I the Lord really got a hold of my heart and life when I was uh, in my high school years, la- latter high school years, and I couldn't get enough of the Word. I wanted to be with God's people. Well, we were not a people that went to church twice on Sunday and all that kind of thing. Sunday was a work day. My father never went to church. And uh, it was, he, he got up about the time we came in from church, and he was running to go, you know, with a list of chores that needed to be done. And, uh, and, 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 those, and those, at that time, I wanted to go to church, and we were in the middle of mixing concrete or something. He was some project, and uh, I said, I'm, I'm leaving. He said, no, you're not. It's, uh, I got to go. He said, we got, we got cement here. I said, I told you, I wanted to, I wanted to go uh, to church. And I said a few things I shouldn't have said as a 17-year-old, and uh, I felt real righteous about it. You know, like, I'm for God, you're not, you're out. And uh, and I went up into my bedroom, left uh, he and my brother outside, and and it was like God slew me right down, and I knew instantly I was wrong. As great as church was and the learning of the word of God, it was real simple: honor your father and mother, obey them. I was I was not out of the house; I was still in the household, and I had to ask my father through tears if he would forgive me, that I was wrong, if he wanted me. To miss church, even though I wanted to go, I would rather, I, I believe it was God's will for me to learn obedience. Learn obedience, I needed that. And to finish the job and do it with a sweet attitude, not, I'm holy and you're not, none of that garbage, okay? So I learned that, and God really drove that into me as, uh, in my junior year, junior years. Then when I became adult and Faith and I were married, after college, uh, uh, I graduated, went, uh, did some business school, went to, and then worked in the uh, family firm. And uh, I loved working with my father. You know, we were, I understood how he thought. And uh, it, was a, it was a very good business. And uh, there came a point after several years that uh, God was beginning to draw my heart toward pastoral ministry. I had a real yearning, but was working with uh, the, the kids, and uh, at church, and I uh, had a real desire to want to, to do that with my life. The Lord said, what do you want to do? Do you want to take over your father's business, or do you want to do the teaching of the Word of God and pastoral ministry? And, and the Lord gave me that increasing desire, and I knew that if I was going to do that, I better go to seminary and get, get serious about this thing. And uh, but that was a very hard thing, and, and and for my father who didn't know Christ at that point, and for him to say to me, you know, it's it's not right, it's not right, we're family, you know, we, we you have a little uh, a daughter there, Sarah, she's our first granddaughter, and to pack up and to leave and to go 500, 450, 500, whatever miles away, um. I'll give you the business. Let's go down to the attorney. We'll sign it over. I only want to work a few more years. It's yours. I mean, with tears in her eyes, that was, that was difficult. Difficult. I always honored my father. Tried to, failed sometimes, but as a whole. And, uh, and yet, and so when I studied this text, it shouted to me. It reminded me of that. And uh, look at the minor lesson here again. Our calling in God's family at times has to take precedent over the claims of our earthly families. And in my case, I know what that meant, and the cost that was involved with that, and the estrangement and misunderstanding. And yet, uh, we've seen now these many, many years that God was in that, and all all the way through. And uh, to see my father finally, to know that he made a profession of faith before he died... Uh, to see my father come to one of my... No, he came to two sermons. And uh, he was always uh, a good father, always trying to help me, whether it was football or wrestling or baseball. And after it was done, he's giving me tips on illustrating the truth. Now, here he is, he's lost. a Good father. But he's trying to say, hey, have you tried this? Or maybe tried that. And, and, and I have that tucked into my heart as, as an element of great joy. Uh, uh, and and I thank the Lord for that, you know? Well, there's a major truth here, and here's the major. Don't miss it. True members of God's family bear the resemblance to our older brother. I say that with all respect. Jesus is our older brother. We're in his family. We bear his likeness. What? He did the Father's will completely. You ever have an older brother, older sister, and they're able to do things? Man, I can't wait till I'm that age. I'll be able to do that, right? Hit a ball like my older brother, as far as he could hit. I can't wait for that. I can't wait. You kind of, and he's our older, elder brother in his family. And to resemble him, that's what God's up to here. That's the major lesson here. And you know what? Jesus' brother was uh, James, who was standing outside the door, we believe. He got the message, didn't he? He really got the message because years later he writes in, I have it on your sheet, in James chapter 1, he got it. Don't be hearers of the word only. Be doers of it. And if you're a hearer only, you're like someone who looks in the mirror and you're all messed up and disheveled, right? And you don't do anything about it. You just go and leave. He got the message and he did and He's right. Jesus tells us, that's how you become a part of my blessed family. Listen, we have a God-given duty to love our families and provide for their needs. But there are times when family members, one man writes, demand unreasonable attention. Or when they stand in the way of ministry that God has called us to. At such times, like Jesus, the claims of family must be set aside. And we do this, we do it how? We do it lovingly. We do it with utmost respect. But we do it clearly. And we do it firmly. Use it or lose it. Luke wants us to see here in the two episodes of of our Lord and his sayings involving them. But lessons for our life, and we'll be done. Lesson number one. To do God's will, you must first hear his word. You must hear it. If you don't hear it, you don't know it, you can't do it. It's that simple. Let me urge you to take every opportunity to take the Word of God in. I do that. When I can, I listen to Christian radio if I'm in transit. I listen to CDs or tapes. In my office, if I'm not in the thick of deep study where I have to think and read and take uh, you know, 40, 50 pages of notes that I do every week, I usually have Christian radio. I'm listening. I'm taking it in. I'm feeding. I'm soaking it in. Church gathering like this, how folks can claim to know Christ and miss worship is beyond me. This is a feast every week. We worship. We sing. We give. We unfold the word. It's a banquet. Take it in. Read. Read good stuff. Read missionary biographies. Read the word. Study. Take it in. Be serious about that. Serious. You've got to hear it first. Number two. Number two, it's not enough for you to say that you're a Christian. You must live out truth in your life. Remember Jesus' warning in Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. A lot of people say that. Notice, remember the rest of what the Lord said there. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but it's not what he who says, it's what he who does the will of my Father. Depart from me, depart from me, Jesus said, I never knew you. Wow, those are are huge words. Not enough for you to say it. Not enough. It's got to be shown. It's got to be seen like a lamp set on a table. Number three. Number three, be warned. If you fail to put into practice the truth you've learned, you're going to lose it. You're going to lose it. Just do it. Today, write down something on the piece of paper that God has uh, brought to your mind and brought focus on and reminded you of something. And do it. Make a phone call, write a letter, build it in place, find confession. Try it. And God will give you an increased capacity for more truth. He will. Number four, we love and thank God for our families, don't we? I hope you do. They need our prayers. I still pray uh, if, if I miss uh, a day, it's very unusual. I, I still pray for uh, everyone in my family. Uh, my dad's been gone for so many, many years, 1983, sudden heart attack. And I often think, wouldn't it be great just to have a conversation with him now at this point? Life looks so different than from the last, when I was a, a young adult uh, in my 20s, when I last talked to him. And I thank the Lord for him. I thank the Lord for my mother. She's old and feeble now. And, and pray for her and pray for my brothers. And I'm not sure if some of them know the Lord. Yeah, pray for them. I thank the Lord for Papa, Faithy's dad and mom. And they're in heaven now. And, and I, I do. I, I Family is very, very important. Very important. It's a gift of God. And we ought to count it that way. Care for and love our families. It's a terrible thing when families are divided, we need to humble ourselves and do everything we can to bridge that. We ought to. It's God's gift. We're sinners, right? Living together, of course, they're going to be to deal with them the way that honors the Lord. We, we love and thank God for our families, but they but remember, they're not our first priority in life. If you're an adult, God is. God is your first priority. He's to have the preeminent, the Lord Jesus. And uh, he ought to be number one, and and uh, and then all the rest beyond that, you're last. So am I. And I have that mindset. Finally, Jesus, did you know he's accepting? He's accepting people into his family today. Maybe they didn't accept you in the college you wanted to go to. You know, sorry, sorry, go back do remedial. Uh, not accepted. God, the Lord's accepting people into his family. Isn't that great? The adoption agency is open. I don't know if you've ever trusted Christ the Lord as your Savior. Lord Jesus, you have to confess that you're a sinner, you're lost, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord should should be saved. You can be saved today, in a moment. If I can help you with that, I want to do that. Wow. Use it or lose it. Will you do that? How many of you took foreign language? Raise your hand. I figured most of you did. Yeah, you know what they say? What do they say? What's a bilingualist? No, I gave it away. What's a person who knows two languages? Bilingual. What about three? What's that called? What's about one? He's an American. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. And sometimes we don't do real good with the English, do we? (laughs) Well, praise the Lord. Just do it, right, shall we? Let's stand and be dismissed with the word of prayer. You're all invited.